0: And thanks to the organizers who again have brought us together on a day of fellowship and unity and mutual love, the days we cannot have enough of. For me, these mornings have also been important days of remembrance and reminding. And there's much of which we need reminded, I think, in our world today and this morning is one such opportunity. I was struck just days ago to read a letter to the editor, a very well written one um, by a gentleman here in town. He was responding to someone else's letter, apparently, but he made the following statements with regard to the statement that the United States was, quote, founded by people of the Christian persuasion, quote, nothing could be further from the truth. There was and is nothing Christian in the founding of this country. Now, the writer could have said it wasn't only Christians, and he'd have been absolutely correct. He could have said those Christians who founded this country, those people of faith, very purposely sought to create a place that was welcoming of all faiths and those of no faith at all, and that would have been correct. But he said something much more emphatic and much more, um, I believe, purposeful in its own way. There was nothing Christian in the founding of this country. Well, this would have come as news to George Washington, in whose words and on whose memorial, whose monument you could read today. It is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God and to obey His will. It would have been news to our second president. John Adams, who said, among many such observances, our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Or to other signers of the Declaration, Governor Morris, who said, religion is the only solid base of morals, and morals are the only possible support of free governments or Benjamin Rush. The only foundation in a republic is to be laid in religion. Without this there can be no virtue, without virtue no liberty, and liberty is the object in life of all republican governments. Or with Washington the greatest American, Lincoln, who after all said that he yearned and prayed that this nation under God might have a new birth of liberty, his second inaugural speech of seven hundred and three words mentions God fourteen times and quotes the Bible twice later on in the letter the to the the uh, letter to the editor this um, obviously well educated person writes that criticizes Chief Justice John Roberts for and says he erred in giving the presidential oath of office to our new president when he inserted the phrase so help me God Um, says that that offending phrase and I quote that offending phrase um, represents an imposition of religion into government strictly forbidden by the Constitution This person's otherwise, I suppose, excellent education somehow failed to teach him. That so help me God was the invocation of George Washington. It was not part of the oath and is still not to this day formally. But he inserted it personally in becoming our first president and then kissed the Bible on which he had sworn. Now, I mention all this simply by way of saying that historic illiteracy is a problem of its own. It can become even active distortion by those who sincerely believe that faith is an outmoded concept or even an interference, even an obstruction to the sort of just society we all seek some sort of anachronism to be dismissed or as I now recall I said in the video interview bullied to the sidelines of American life. I postulate and respect the sincerity of most such people who believe that the faith that animates people in this room as Uh, No longer much value, much to add to our modern world. But I think that those who hold to that view should recognize the responsibility that comes with it. Because much will be lost when these true historical facts, the true underpinning of the free institutions, the free country about which I believe all Americans, most Americans, strongly agree, will have to be replaced by something. If our memory, if our historical memory goes down the famous memory hole, if we say, well, that was then, this is now, a burden will then be on those who have banished faith to the sidelines. Because then what will be the source of our freedom? Where will be the source of the whole idea of equality? With what do the faithless propose to replace it if our freedoms are not God-given? As Jefferson wrote so eloquently, Jefferson, on whose own memorial one finds his words, God who gave us life gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when we have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God. Freedoms that are the mere gift of men or the mere gift of government can be removed by the next men and the next government. Only if our freedoms, as our founders so profoundly believed, are God-given, are they eternal. Only if we are all equal Kings and the poorest. Wisest and the least among us. Equal in the eyes of an all-knowing and all-loving God. Can equality be preserved? Otherwise, power is everything. Those who would replace the role of faith have another burden, in my opinion. They will have to devise another source for the humility, without which public life unavoidably takes us to disaster. The biggest mistakes made in the name of governments in this world have come from the hubris, from the arrogance that imagines that man can know all, man can plan all, man can tell his fellow men, his less powerful fellow citizens, how to live and what to do. Jesus' second temptation, I think, was probably the largest one for those of us who are mortal and couldn't save ourselves from a plummet, from a cliff. The temptation to power is the one that is restrained and constrained in those who remember, at least in our better moments, that we don't know it all, that omniscience, this in only one place and it is not on this earth. A very smart and attractive and I think superb new first lady of this country had something interesting to say last year. She said at one point that Americans had a hole in our souls. I think there may be some truth in that. The pursuit of material things as uh, primary in life often leads to a sense of vacuum and emptiness when all the wealth of the wealthiest society that man has ever known or could have imagined is not enough but when i feel there's a hole in my soul as i do on so many days it is not the politics that i look it is not the politicians that I look for the filling of that vacuum it is to Sunday morning and to friends like you and to places like this for our state and our nation to be the place of freedom the city on the hill the imperfect but always striving of the best instincts in fallen humanity, the better angels of its nature. We must remember from where our rights come. Remember why we are equal one to another. Remember how humble is our judgment, how little of all that could be known we know. And so it is days like this that take us back to those essential truths, and it is people like our speaker to whom we look for greater guidance and wisdom. Dr. Walter Wangeren is one of us. This meeting, as we were reminded in the film, has been graced by some of the most brilliant and thoughtful and persuasive thinkers ever to write and speak about the place of faith, and faith's plural, in America. But we've never been so fortunate as we are this morning because not only is our guest, a renowned professor of both theology and English and creative writing, winner of the National Book Award, and, delightful to me, the National Children's Book Award. A person who has lived his faith before he turned his attention fully to the teaching of young people and to writing as a full-time pursuit. He pastored for 16 years in an inner-city church, again here with us in Evansville. He is, in many ways, our own Chesterton, our own C.S. Lewis, please welcome with grateful hearts Dr. Walter Wongren.